This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is the Ave Explorers Lenten mini series. us, this Lent has looked drastically different than we maybe intended. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday um, who said, well, this year I decided I was going to go to daily mass for Lent, and that didn't happen. And I kind of chuckled, and I said, well, what did you replace it with? And there was a long pause, and they simply said, well, I kind of think things were forced upon me to replace it with. And I, I chuckled and laughed, and then they said, but I have been trying to read the gospel every day at the very least, and and spend some time in reflection. And I think sometimes um, the plans that we have for ourselves are often not something that God laughs at. I, I don't like that phrase, that when we make plans, God laughs. It almost makes it sound like God's maniacally sitting back, taunting us with, oh, ha, 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 you're going to make all these plans, and I'm going to mess them up. But rather, we make plans, and then God surprises us with his plans. God challenges us to think bigger, to imagine more, and to pay attention to what he is doing, rather than just sit within the plans that we have made for ourselves. At least that's the positive outlook I'm choosing to take today in the midst of what we are facing in this world here at the very end of Lent. This week, to top off our conversation about not only the season of Lent, but the upcoming season of Easter, which for many of us I think is going to look drastically different than we may have imagined at the start of Lent just a few weeks ago. We're having a, a conversation today with a, a lady who I've long admired and long been a fan of, and I, I consider to be a friend, Mary Lenneberg. Mary is an author, she's a mom, she works in youth ministries, she's, she's a speaker, she travels, she writes, she's got an incredible presence on Instagram, she's taught me how to bake amazing things, she's the person that I, I text when I need an encouraging word and, and somebody I often turn to for advice and I think a lot of people can say that about Mary. She's very much a mom of the internet in some sense, which is where I, I first got to know her. But the story about Mary that, that most sticks out to me is, is when I got to meet her in person for the first time, I was in Washington, D.C. for an event with the Ethics and Public Policy Center at the Mayflower Hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. This seems like a lifetime ago. And I was offering remarks about the, the Synod of 2018, which was on youth, faith, and vocational discernment. And when the event was over, this lady I recognized from the internet and her husband came up to me and introduced themselves, and she just very simply said, you have no idea what you've done tonight, but you've changed the church. And I didn't think I had by any means. I said 15 minutes worth of things from a piece of paper that I'd, I'd written out. But Mary is the kind of person who can walk up to you and make you feel invaluable instantly. And I think that's what she does in today's episode. You know, Mary and I had a very wide-ranging conversation talking about not only the season of Lent, but the seasons of life and, and how we can approach life with bravery. That's Mary's book, Be Brave in the Scared. It's all about how she found faith in the toughest days of her life, how she, how she clung to joy, how she and her husband maintained a, a home uh, of hospitality. And she shares a lot of that with us, not only in this conversation, but in the life that she lives. And I th we had this conversation uh, a few weeks ago before the world looks like it looks like now with social distancing and sheltering in place and the numbers of people suffering from this disease rising by the minute, it seems. 
with lots of confusion and fear. And when Mary and I chatted about whether or not we should re-record to address the current moment, we decided that instead this conversation kind of almost acted like a, uh, a little time capsule of what we all thought just a few weeks ago, but yet we're still filled with great hope of what the Lord could do. And so I think the conversation is worth listening to and, and, and Mary's insights about how to become people of hospitality, people of joy, people of bravery in the midst of fear is critically important for this moment. Um, just as a reminder, shipping from Ave Maria Press is on hold um, until mid-April or so because of the, the current shelter-in-place orders and folks working from home, but you can still get all of Ave Maria Press's books in ebook format um, from all of your, your book proprietors that you can imagine. And so Mary's book, Be Brave and the Scared, will be linked down in the show notes with the ebook link. Um, and you can, you can get it for just a couple of bucks delivered straight to your, your reading device, your iPad, your Kindle, your phone, read it on your computer if you want. But you can still take advantage of great Catholic literature and, and, and writing in the midst of all of this. And I would highly recommend Mary's book. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you think. It'll, it'll really help end your Lent well and launch you into Easter. So without further ado, my conversation with my dear, dear friend, Mary Lunneberg. <music> Well, Mary, thanks so much for joining us here on the Ave Explorers show. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's yeah, so, with you. so I, I always feel like I'm with you because that's the way Instagram stories work is that you're just like constantly seeing what your, your internet friends are doing. Um, I, was I fly to, with you all the time. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm on jet bridges and you're traveling and in your kitchen and with your awesome yeah. husband. And, um, I, and my sister's up in D.C., and I'm always telling her, you need to go hang out with the Lindenbergs. You need to go hang out with the Lindenbergs. They're not that far away. So I've, I've basically just invited my sister over to your house awesome. all the time. Look to me near. Um, but tell us, so you're up in the D.C. area. Tell us right. where you are, who you are, what you're doing. Just kind of give oh. us the Mary Lindenberg rundown. <laughs> the Mary Lindenberg rundown. So Jerry and I have been married for almost 32 years. We live in Fairfax, Virginia. I grew up in Maryland. He grew up in Oklahoma. We met in Annapolis when he was at the Naval Academy. We ended up in Fairfax, which is about 30 minutes outside of the uh, DC. Um, our daughter, Courtney, passed away five years ago, um, and she was with us for 22 years. She had profound disabilities. And our son, Jonathan, just turned 30, which makes me very old. <laughs> He's my age. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, He's you guys are age. Age. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and you are, you're a force to be reckoned with in the ministry world. <laughs> Not only have you written a book, but you travel and you speak. So tell us a yeah. little bit about that. Uh, so I, I do uh, mostly women and teenagers, women's ministry, I guess you would call it. Um, I talk a lot about suffering and woundedness, um, sharing my own story through addiction and through raising a uh, profoundly disabled child and, there, and then losing that child, having her go home to heaven before me. Um, so we do a lot of women's retreats. Um, I've been a core member of our youth ministry team at our parish for 14, 15 years now. So teenagers, I love them. They're awesome, especially when they're not mine. They're just the best. And, um, you know, you sound like my dad, I get to, I get to be with them every week and, and we actually do it twice a week. So we do lead on Tuesday nights, which is when they kind of dive deeper into their faith. Jerry and I really enjoyed that with them. And then, um, I wrote a book, be brave and the scared, how I learned to trust God during the most difficult days of my life. And I just signed a contract to write a second book with Ave. Awesome. So Congratulations. That, thank you. I, hopefully that'll be out in February 2021 if Mary stays um, 
on track with that. Yeah, if, if you do your job. <laughs> if I do my job. They're very forgiving editors over there. They I, are I, I don't think I've forgiving. ever turned a manuscript in on time. Yeah, um, but I spent, 20, <laughs> I spent 22 years at home, you know, caring for a child. And then God said, okay, I need you to do this. It's kind of like, I always hearken back to the visitation hmm. where um, Mary's in the garden and the angel Gabriel says to her, you know, tells her about Elizabeth. And what does she do? She goes in haste. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I am in this season of going in haste. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's completely different than what I thought I'd ever be doing. Um, and just God has really blessed it. And we just keep saying yes. So that's your, that's your personal life. That's your husband. That's your son. That's your, your ministry life. But I, I do, obviously, podcasts are limited in the sense that they're audio. Most people are probably listening to this in their car. But you are sitting right now in front of your kitchen. Um, which is the perfect, because I, I feel like the, the way I really fell in love with you on Instagram was your cooking videos. Cause you were yeah. always sharing recipes that literally when I'm planning meals, I'm like, would the Lambergs eat this? Would they cook this? <laughs> like I, it, it comes up into my head. So, so tell us a little bit about your heart for opening your home and for welcoming people in. I am all about hospitality. My philosophy is make sure the door is open and there's a seat at the table. Um, I have never made a meal where there wasn't enough for more than uh, I planned for. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a family of eight. So my mom, there were 10 of us at the table every night. And so my mom always had a little extra. And sometimes a friend would come over from school and I just sort of, it was just always that way. And therefore I kind of folded that into my own life as a wife and mom. The first 12 years of my married life, we were um, active duty in the Navy. So, you know, when deployments would happen, my table was filled with three other families, other wives and their children, because our husbands were at sea, um, so that you would have that community and that solidarity walking together and accompanying each other. So um, it is a joy and a privilege. I never know who's going to be at dinner. I truly don't um, when I'm in town and I'm not um, out in the field, Uh, but it's just fun. And I love to cook and I love to bake and um, I'm, I just love to feed people and I love to be with people. Um, and that's just what I do. I just, um, my, I married a man who the saying goes a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Um, it just should be right. Jerry's picture should just be right there. Yeah. Next and to that, <laughs> that's going to be on his grave, you know, <laughs> at the end of time. And so we just, um, and it's so funny because we're very opposite People, we're completely opposite on the personality spectrum. If Jerry had his way, the door would be blockaded and no one would ever come in and he would be here with his books and his people and his his baked goods that his wife so diligently prepared for him and all would be well with the world. But he married kind of a, he calls me a firecracker. He married a firecracker and I'm like, open that door, dude. People are coming. And, and you know, I feel like the table is where um, family comes together and we are all family. We walk together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So whoever's going to come comes and we just have a great time. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's so Catholic because literally our, <laughs> our worship is centered around a meal. Yeah. <laughs> we, we gather at a table. We break that bread. Um, mm-hmm. Was that, was that always kind of your philosophy or is that a more recent, um, development since Courtney's passing? I mean, I know with 22 years raising a profoundly disabled child, was that always part of the the fabric of the home? 
It was because it was the only way we saw people. You know, and Courtney would have, um, she had seizures, grandma seizures every day. And her seizures were the kind that she would stop breathing on occasion. Mm -hmm. So it's very challenging other than to go to mass and for her to go to her, her school that she went to. Um, you, you really didn't go out a lot. I mean, we went out more than most people do with that type of disability. Um, she was wheelchair bound. She had a G tube. She was in adult diapers her whole life, you know? So, I mean, it's a thing to go. It's like, your toddler is with you, your, your small child is with you for the rest of your life. So she was seven to nine months in development. So it was a lot. Um, the easiest thing for me was to open my door and say, if you're willing to come to us, then all you have to do is come to us. You know, I'll bake, I'll cook, I'll do all the things, but it's easier for Courtney to be here. And so we did, we, we really did have an, we've had an open door policy, our whole married life and, um, great, you know, I'm grateful because people actually did come through the door. I mean, there were seasons when it was quieter, certainly when her health was uh, more challenging. Um, but yeah, no, it's always been, the door's always been open. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Courtney. I, you know, I did not have the pleasure of meeting her, but I feel like I do know her because y'all share her story so much. Um, so, so tell us about her. What, what was she like? What was her joy? Courtney. Oh, well, she, she's like her father. Food was her joy. <laughs> um, loved food, hated peas. That was the only thing she couldn't tolerate. Um, and she would literally blow them at you if you <laughs> tried. So um, Courtney was, we call, Jerry called her a pickle. She could be a sweet pickle or a sour pickle. So we mm. always just called her pickle. Um, she was blonde, blue-eyed, uh, Shirley Temple curls, huge smile, um, very spicy. You know, like she had a temper. Um, she never really spoke, you know, like you and I are speaking. She sounded like Chewbacca from Star Wars, but you could tell it in the pitch of her hum if she was happy or if she was sad. Mm -hmm. Loved music, loved to sing, loved to hum. Her favorite part of being at church was the bells. When the bells would ring at the Epiclesis, she would start giggling because wow. she knew God was there. Um, she just had a deep sense of... Um, fun about her it's hard because people are like but mary she never spoke if you sat with her and you were in her presence for long you could see how mischievous she was like jonathan would walk by her wheelchair and she would stick out her foot and try and trip him and she couldn't <laughs> see but she would listen you know she would just kind of lean in with her ear and one of them just he treats her he treated her like a, a typical sibling he would just get so mad he's like seriously are you kidding me and she'd just start to giggle like i gotcha um, but she just had this deep sense of peace. People were drawn to her. I was always so amazed. We'd walk into mass and people would come over and they would touch her hand and then they would say good morning. And she would lean in with her forehead. It was always forehead to forehead. She would kind of have that pressure point. And that was sort of like her handshake, her hug. And then they would ask for prayers and she'd just smile. And then they'd walk away. I mean, people were really drawn to her. Um, she's just, joy. when I think of her, the one word that comes to mind is joy. It was just pure joy. Yeah. And, and you share that joy. You posted a video just a few days ago um, of her laughing. And I watched it probably 20 times sitting on a plane because it was just, it was the greatest sound. Um, Isn't it? It was really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she just, she thank like you. Trucker, you know, thank like you for, for sharing her with us. Um, you know, so your book really does tell the story of, you mentioned addiction earlier and, and raising a profoundly disabled child and, and how you, you survived. Because I feel like sometimes those of us that are in the midst of a storm, and that kind of feels like a, a, a very long storm, yeah. um, you're, you're standing and things are swirling around and you have to figure out how to survive while also making sure everything stays down 
as the yeah. tornado is kind of hitting. So, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, the book and obviously we're going to get to Lent because this is a Lenten mini series, but, but, you know, you're writing your second one. So this first one was very much a, a, a powerful debut. Um, so tell us a little bit about that story that you tell and, and your process in telling that story. Well, the first book really is my dance with God. It's sort of like my spiritual journey. And it really starts the day. Um, we start at the day of her baptism when she had her first grandma seizure. And, and what Be Brave does is it just tells the story of my heart. I didn't try. I didn't really know God. I mean, I was raised a Catholic, went to church because the nuns said, if you don't go, you're going to hell. I'm not a fan of being hot, didn't want to go to hell, so I went to church. That's pretty much where I was at. Um, I married a non-Catholic. He came into the church 11 years into our marriage due to our children, not due to me. So that tells you where his wife was on the holiness train. Um, And we share that story. Um, It's just about a woman who got lost. I got lost in myself. Um, I used to numb all the pain with food. Um, I entered into a marriage feeling unworthy of love. My husband entered into that marriage feeling the same. He came with an addiction to pornography. I came with an addiction to food. Neither one of us really knew and could identify those addictions when we married. And it wasn't until Courtney came into the world and really like that tornado just kind of turned everything on its head that all of that bubbled to the surface. And we looked at each other and said, you know, if we're, if we're in this, we both believed, we both loved each other, even though we had hurt each other tremendously. We loved one another. We believed in our marriage. We believed in the vows that we had taken. Um, and we believed that, you know, God, if he said he was God, and if we truly entered into our belief of that, that, you know, everything would be okay, but we, there was a lot of work to be done. And so it tells the journey of that work. Um, it shows the story of Jonathan, who, as the only sibling of a disabled, you know, his, his sister's profoundly disabled, what he went through, the stress and the trauma that he went through of two parents that, you know, were trying to, to save one child while not forgetting about Jonathan, but setting him aside because you only have the capacity to do one thing at a time um, and how that wounded him. And therefore, what he had to go through as a young adult and now how he stands, you know, uh, fully healed and raring to go with whatever God wants for his life. Um, But it shows the redemption and the restoration of what God can do when you let him in and when you trust him with everything. And that's what we had to do. And by the grace of God and our church and the teachings of John Paul II and theology of the body, our marriage has been restored and redeemed and healed. And now we face outward, you know, now we share everything that we went through and how we did it um, and share it with other people that are in the midst of their own storms. Because I think we need to encourage one another Um, you know, you feel like you're alone in the storm and you might physically be alone, but you're never truly alone because Mm -hmm. God remains in all things. And so that's really what Be Brave and the Scared is about. The title comes from my dad. He used to tell me um, when I ran track, oh my gosh, in the third and fourth grade. And he would say, Mary, you only have to be brave one breath at a time. And for us, breath in this house was, was very important because Courtney would stop breathing. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan is an asthmatic so breathing is really important in a lot of work house. And so when we, when I thought of that quote and I started saying it on my social media, um, it was originally um, titled something different. And it was the team at Ave that said, no, we think it should be this. And I was like, well, of course it should be that. 
Yeah. You know, they have a good so way of doing that. They have um, a good way of doing that. Yeah. yeah. They, they, uh, room 24 did not start out as room 24. It started out as something different, but they, they always have a way of finding that nugget that can be pulled out. Yeah. You, you said a lot of really beautiful things in there, but the, the thing that struck me the most is that, um, you know, we're, we're in the midst of these storms and sometimes it kind of feels like we're alone. And, and, uh, I think Lent, especially here at the end of Lent, if it was a fruitful Lent, and I think all Lents are fruitful, whether you gave up halfway through or whether it was really difficult every single day or whether you even forgot it was Lent. Like, I'm, I'm pregnant, so I don't really have to fast the same way other people do. So sometimes I'm like, it's not Lent. I can have Chick-fil-A on Friday. Nobody cares. Um, obviously, I'm not. But, the, but you know, wherever a person is here in this final full week of, of the Lenten journey, a lot can come up. Yeah. Um, so how, how's your Lent been, Mary? How's it, how's it um, been? Challenging. Yeah. <laughs> challenging. Um, you know, entering into 40 days in the desert is not easy because I like my dessert. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, everybody's like, did you give up chocolate? No, I actually, um, this Lent, I decided to take my Lenten sacrifice day by day because mm-hmm. I, I have, I have failed so often. And, and, like you said, I don't think you ever really fail. I think that's just, that's what the deceiver says to you. Like, shame on you. You didn't do it. I don't think that's how God sees it. I think God takes everything we give him as meager as it is, our best efforts. when we offer them to him fully and freely, you know, like, okay, this is what I did. I'm sorry. It's not enough. Um, I still think he blesses that. And he loves that you actually thought of him and that you, you know, wanted to enter in. So it's been very challenging, but um, you know, it's good. We're here in Holy Week. Um, this is a um, beautiful week in our family's life um, because we're heading toward Easter. And um, I will never forget the first um, Easter vigil after our daughter died. Um, she died in December, so Easter came in March. And I will never forget when you enter into that dark church, you know, and everybody, and then everybody lights the candles, you know, you're, you're walking with your candles. And it just felt so um, Jerry and I were just holding hands and he was one of the lectors and he got to read the one, the chariots and the charioteers, whichever <laughs> reading that is, that's his favorite one. So we were sitting over with the lectors and it was just the two of us. And, um, and Jonathan was across the church where everybody else was sitting. And I remember standing there and it was so dark and all you could see with other people's faces. And I looked at Jerry and I said, I think she's here. I think Courtney is here with us. And then when the Gloria comes and, and the lights go on and the bells and Courtney's favorite part of mass was the bells mm-hmm. because she would laugh. Um, it's like she knew before anybody else knew that God mm-hmm. was present. It was like people pay attention. He's here. And when those bells went off, I'll never forget. I just wept and mm-hmm. he was weeping. And, and then the lights came on and we're like, oh gosh, people can see it, you know, <laughs> wiping your but you're just like quickly, quickly, you know, but after that mass, I remember half that congregation came up and hugged us. Nobody said a word. They knew exactly where we were, but it was like, she gets to experience that on, on a level that I can't even understand. And, and then you're just like one day, one day, please God, one day we will all be there together and those bells and and we will all be praising him together. And so even though I fail in my Lenten journey, even though I struggle in giving up whatever it is that I'm giving up in the end, God wins. You know, you have to, we have to go through these times of suffering and purification in order to get to the good stuff. You have to have good Friday and then the quiet and the desolation of Holy Saturday. Everybody always skips over Holy Saturday. Like on Holy Saturday, there was nothing more stark to me 
um, the year after Courtney died, I became the liturgist at our parish. And I remember walking in on Holy Saturday, preparing for the Easter vigil. And he's not in the tabernacle. Yeah, the church is empty. The doors are open and everything is dark. And you just, I mean, I have goosebumps now. You're just like, where is he? Mm-hmm. Where is he? You know, it's almost like he gets lost, but he doesn't. We know where he is. And, um, and then those, you know, then that night when the lights go on, it's like we are an Easter people, you know, but suffering is part of it. He suffered. He entered fully into, you know, with his divinity, entered fully into our humanity so that when we come to him and we say, God, this really hurts. He looks at us and says, I know it does. Yeah. I know what that feels like. You know, so we are never, ever alone in the suffering unless we choose to be. Of course, the great deceiver wants us to think that right. he wants us to live in chaos and confusion and aloneness. Um, and and I did, you know, I, we all fall into those patterns where we feel like God is very far from us. But really, all you have to do is call out his name and he's there yeah. because he never left you. It's just that you can hear him then when you call out. Yeah, you know, you can it's almost him. it's almost like we have to be brave and Lent. To be able to, to get to Easter and then even brave through those moments of the, I, we, we would go to the Triduum as a family and like Holy Thursday was always the fun one because there was feet washing. Um, and then there's, there's Good Friday and our church does a very unique procession in for Good Friday um, that, that includes a drumbeat for every whip that Christ received. Oh um, so it's just haunting. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, everybody goes and has a crawfish boil afterwards because it's like, all right, he's dead. Now we can go party because that's just how <laughs> Southerners are. Um, we're not supposed to do that, and we know it. Um, and then there's that Holy Saturday. And my mom is, was always part of the committee that would decorate, and I'd go with her. And it was just that empty church and that yeah, and And it is. It's, it's, I mean, I feel like churches are, even on like a, a, a funeral day, a church is never quite as eerie as on the Holy Saturday. But then comes Easter Sunday. Um, yeah. How did the Lindenbergs celebrate Easter Sunday? What, what do y'all do well, with your tradition? The Lindenberg. Oh, this is okay. <laughs> First of all, Holy Thursday is a big day. Um, we always, Courtney actually was one of, uh, got her feet washed one year. Oh, wow. Which was just beautiful. Our pastor had come to us and he, this was before like Pope Francis a couple years ago had said he wanted to see more than just 12 men on the altar getting their feet. Well, our pastor was a little before then, <laughs> but, um, so he, she got her foot feet washed one year. So we always remember that. I don't know why we're always just Holy Thursday. We're there. Jonathan will be next to us or whatever. My mom will be there and they'll be like, remember when Courtney got her feet sweat and almost kicked the bowl over? Yes. We remember <laughs> you know, we all chuckle. Um, Good Friday, we make um, Vestalia and Krapkas, which is a deep fried German donut that is made um, to be eaten on, um, actually we do that Holy Saturday morning. So Good Friday, we, we color eggs. In my family growing up, you know how you have the egg battles where you yep. tap the eggs? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. We, we oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we do that on Good Friday. We go to Good uh, Stations of the Cross. At our parish, our teens reenact Station of the Cross from John Paul II, who wrote that one. And so we go to that at three o'clock. And then we always have um, grilled cheese and um, tomato soup because that's what we have on Ash Wednesday. So we repeat that. And then Holy Saturday, we make the donuts, which is a big deal that morning. We go and get um, a basket of food blessed, which is a um, mostly Eastern European tradition. Yeah, Polish. Um, Yeah, so my my mom's family is all German. And so um, we we do that. And... um, that's awesome because I do like big baskets. Like I get all the oil for the year. So when I cook in my kitchen, I am cooking with um, blessed salt and blessed 
olive oil all mm. year long. That's awesome. So I just love that. And then um, we go to Easter Vigil. Um, although this year I'm not sure going to Easter Vigil. Depends on, because we're extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. So it depends on where Father needs us. Um, and then Easter Sunday, we have our donuts and we make a ham and all kinds of, it's always around food. So there's, oh, yeah. you know, the, the menu is discussed in depth for a good, we always try a new side dish or a new something. And then um, it's family day. It's quiet. We play board games. We visit extended family. Uh, we always go see Courtney. Um, the last couple of years, we've actually gone to the sunrise service, which is done at the historic church where Courtney is buried. Mm-hmm. And it's done among the graves. So oh, you're among, so we actually will be with her by her grave as the sun rises and we celebrate Easter together, which is very powerful for us as a family. She's always with us. Um, and yeah, so that's how we celebrate Easter. It's all about the donuts and <laughs> graveside visits, you know, yeah. that's what we do as Catholics. but see, that's the, that's, that's the beauty of our faith is that the joy walks with the sorrow. And it walks hand in hand mm-hmm. and we have lived that out and we will continue to live that out. I mean, we're not getting any younger and our parents, um, both of us have lost our fathers. Our mothers are both still living. Um, but you know, we, we walk hand in hand with suffering and mm-hmm. if you do it with joy and which is hard to garner sometimes, but, um, with the idea that God's already walked before you, yeah, he's already made the path clear for you. So, um, it becomes easier. Yeah. That joy with the sorrow. That's, that'll probably be the title. Um, Cause I think it's, it's so easy to hear. It's, it's much easier to relate to this talking to somebody who's clearly lived it and hearing from someone who's not just talking about it in a theoretical perspective. Like you truly have walked that road to Calvary and seen the Easter Sunday morning. And it's, it's never just a one and done. Like we do this every year. Um, yeah. I, I had a friend convert to Catholicism and they're like, wait, so this is a, like, you'll make this big a deal this isn't like a once every five years kind of thing. It's like, no, we'll do this again in about 365 days, maybe less, maybe more, depending on the calendar. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's kind of the beauty of it is that we have these these markers within the calendar that give us reminders of that ever evolving and ever ever changing story that's also at the same time something very rooted and, and the same. Um, it's the, I think it's the beauty of the liturgical calendar. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we 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 set it aside for so many years. I was raised in the seventies, eighties. Um, my catechesis was rainbows and unicorns. You know, yeah. I mean, it was and, and so then, <laughs> yeah. And then and then I had my children, and we homeschooled Jonathan, not for any reason other than we were a military family, and it was just easier for us. Um, and so I got to live the liturgical years. I was teaching him, and I I was learning along beside him. So now you have this. You know, we're at the end of the season. You know, it's, it's really good to slow down. It's really good to take an inventory of where you are spiritually, where your relationship with the Lord is and where he wants you to go. I mean, it's a stretching that happens in our hearts and in our souls. And it's a good, good thing. Um, I always look at Our Lady of Sorrows and our, I, that's the parish we attend is Our Lady of Sorrows, which I, you know, is no coincidence. Um, that's a total God incidence that he would place us there at that parish. But we have a Pieta, of course, in our parish, a replica of the Pieta. And it's my favorite image of Our Lady other than the visitation. Mm-hmm. Those two are my favorites. And the reason being is when you look at her, you know, what is she doing? She is in complete surrender. Mm-hmm. She is in complete surrender of the one who holds her soul and her heart. Not only the Holy Spirit, who was her spouse, God, her father, but her son, who she loved and cherished 
like you and I cherish our children. And she had to surrender him back to God. And then she had to keep living. Like she still had things to do. She had, uh, you know, at that point, 11 knuckleheads to keep in, in moving yeah. forward and being the mother and saying, listen up guys, you know, remember what he said. She had John to take care of her, um, which is beautiful to us because Courtney died on the feast day of St. John the Beloved. Mm. Um, that is the day of her death. So she was born on the feast of St. Um, Helena of the Cross and died on the feast of St. John the Beloved. So I look at her life and she never left the cross. She was there at the foot with him the whole time. And so when I look at Our Lady, I always call her Our Lady of Sorrow's cause of our joy. Because of her surrender, because of her first yes in the garden, to her yes at the wedding of Cana, to her yes at the foot of the cross, we have this opportunity, this beautiful privilege to one day spend an eternity in praise and worship of our Lord and God. And, um, and that requires us to say yes in our life. And that for me was a, um, first a yes to who God is, then a yes to my husband. Um, and then a whole bunch of cleaning up and scrubbing out and figuring out and surrendering one thing after another. And then it was surrendering our daughter back to him because our children don't belong to us. They belong Mm -hmm. to him and we just get to borrow them and love them for a little while. And I've had to surrender Jonathan in a totally different way as a 30-year-old man-child, you know, out in the world doing his thing, whoever the Lord has prepared for him or whatever path for him. As a mom, you have to surrender that. I have to surrender my husband because I can't change him. I can't fix him. I have to love him where he is. And he does the same for me. So it is all about that stretching and that pulling um, of, you know, us sometimes we fight and we want it back, you know, um, and that never ends well. So it's just a constant surrender. And it's actually quite peaceful when it's done because there's nothing better than when you walk away from adoration or from mass and you've surrendered something to actually have that lightness and that joy. Yeah. So here at the end then, I mean, so much has been said and I hope people go back and listen to this episode multiple times and, and take notes or just go buy your book. Um, what's the, what's the second one about, by the way, can you give us a little preview? Um, the second one, the, the, the second one is all about identity. Oh, nice. It is about being seen, known and loved and how we, especially as women, um, you think of trying on a dress in a dressing room and you're like, that's the one I want, but it doesn't fit and it looks awful, but that's the one you've always dreamed of. And how God um, is the ultimate tailor of our lives. You know, oh, he wow. has created something just for us that is uniquely ours. And when we walk into that with ownership, um, then we get to do all the great things he has ready for us to do. But as we fight him and say, no, I want what she wants, or I want what she has, or I want to look that way, or I want to mm-hmm. do that way, or be that way, um, then we're not entering into who we are as in the fullness of who he has us to be, so... That's going to be great. You know, I can't. I can't wait to read the that. Light little fluffy uh, topic. Yeah, problem. no, that's that's going to be profound <laughs> and so relevant today. I mean, the identity crisis that all of us face, but especially women. Um, so here at the end, I've kind of asked everybody the same question, and even though this is the the last week of Lent, um, what's your maybe word of encouragement for these final few days of the Lenten season to our listeners? You know, for Deacon Greg Kandra was just like take it one day at a time. Emily Diardo's was very similar as well. We had uh, my favorite, I think, was Gary uh, Zmax. You can't mess it up. You can't screw this up. You can't fail. But but what what's here at the end? You're you're kind of punching the arm for everybody as as they're rounding these forty days out. I always go to my favorite one of my favorite Saint quotes from Saint Francis de Sales, which I'll just micro quote: If God brings you to the suffering, He will give you the grace 
to go through the suffering. So it's always for me a to and through. So if you're there at the wall and you have to go through the fire to get to the other side, he is going to provide the grace and the strength and the wisdom and the mercy to do that. But you got to trust him. So you take his hand and you walk. Yeah. Just do the next right thing. And just be brave one breath at a time. Be brave one breath at a time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Mary. Um, where can people find info about you? Well, of course, have the links down in the show notes, but where's, where's the Mary Lenneberg hub? Um, just Mary Lenneberg, just Mary Lenneberg.com, Mary Lenneberg on uh, Facebook, on Instagram. Um, just type in my name and there I shall appear. Awesome. And that next time I'm coming over for some of those donuts, I think. Jerry and I need a little introvert together in the corner while the party. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, we're, we're happy to have you in the Ave family. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's a delight. You know, there's a a lot in that conversation that I think is really relevant to any time of year and any season of life, but especially now for many of us in this kind of unknown in which we live, that suffering really does go hand in hand with joy, that, that bravery comes not from our own strength, but from relying on the power of God, but that when we open ourselves up to the power of God, we open ourselves up to what he has to offer us, that something really profound happens, which is that we then begin to open ourselves up to other people, that we then kind of grow in this hospitable heart. And while that might be really difficult to do at this particular moment, in this particular Lenty Lent, where things are very different than I think any of us expected, it's still a great message that we can hold on to. It's still something that I think um, can provide great food for thought, uh, maybe food for your table, and and also the opportunity and the chance to, to really reflect in these final days. Just as a, a little side note for the show, next week we have um, an episode with Father John Burns to round out this Lenten mini-series where we're talking about Holy Week. And we specifically talk about how to celebrate Holy Week when we can't go to church, when we can't go to the Triduum Masses because our, our churches are currently closed to public Mass out of an abundance of caution for the social distancing that we're being called to. It's a great conversation. It's a long conversation. Father John teaches from the heart as only he can about the theology of the Triduum services. I highly recommend it. That's coming next Tuesday. Before that, this coming Thursday, we have a special episode with Roy Pettifee. We're bringing back some of our mental health series uh, to help people during this time of, of social distancing and quarantine, to help people focus on their mental health and, and really thriving during this time. The conversation with Roy will be coming this Thursday, April the 2nd. Roy is a licensed professional counselor, so he talks a bit about helping young people cope during this time, as well as creating our own schedules and routines to stay mentally healthy. So Father John Burns next Tuesday, Roy Pettifee this coming Thursday. We hope you tune in. We hope you enjoy the content that we're creating for you. One other quick little side note, our new series for Ave Explorers, the regular series that we do, is on art and architecture. And down in the show notes, you will see a link that lets you sign up to get all of the content delivered straight to your email inbox. The series is is starting on on April the 15th, the one-year anniversary of the the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral. We'll be exploring how the way of beauty and the beautiful things within our church, within our faith, from the churches to the art to the sounds, everything that we, we live within and we thrive within, how this leads us to deeper faith. So I hope you join us for that series, join us for that content, new podcasts, new articles, new videos, great things to help you continue to grow in your faith. Please know that we'll be praying for you. We hope you stay healthy. We hope you stay safe. And we hope that this very strange Lent ends on a good note for all of you. Thanks for listening.